Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about our last in a series, Why I Love Jesus, and simply that He is holy. And I really want us to pray this morning about seeing God anew. And that talks about holiness. And I was trying my best to think of an illustration for today that uh, really would help connect us into the text this morning. I really had a hard time doing that because holiness is something so very foreign uh, to the modern day that we live. I can ask you this morning about something that you call sacred in your home. Maybe there's something that is off limits or untouchable. For instance, maybe, uh, ladies, you have like some fancy china that you don't let your husband wash the dishes for, right? There's something that it's, it's hidden, it's got a special place, and it only comes out for special purposes. Anybody got fancy china like that in our house? We do not. We have Walmart china. Okay, but that, that, so, but in my house, there's these snow globes that Beth and I have, everywhere we go, we get a snow globe of the places we traveled, and those snow globes are kind of at a special place on a mantle in our living room, and they are not to be played with, because if they were broken, we couldn't get them replaced or whatever, and so they have a special place and a special purpose. Guys, you probably have some tools like a good socket set that you probably are not going to let your little boys take out to the sandbox for fear of losing, you know, one of those ones, and you never find it, and you got to buy a whole new set or whatever. There's something that has a special place and purpose, but even that doesn't even compare to what the Bible talks about as sacred. I can think even one more is that you probably don't go jogging through the dog park and put your tennis shoes on your table because that place is consecrated for the purpose of you eating. Or you probably, even further, let's go a little further, don't eat off of the toilet seat, Lord help us, because that has a place and purpose. My food, for it to go into my belly, is consecrated. That's why I like going to places that have health food inspectors, and that little sign on the, on the door, you know, it says, this has been inspected by number whoever, because there is a place and a purpose for what I'm going to put in my body. And, but even that doesn't even get to the level, because that's all physical stuff, because God in Scripture talks about sacred or holiness into the spiritual realm. And in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 5, he gives a scandalous example. Even in his day, man, it was like rated R, let's not talk about this. And here's what he said, because they weren't getting it. Religious people thought they could kind of earn their way to heaven. And he said, guys, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We're all infected and we're all impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds in an effort to stand right with God, they are all nothing but filthy rags. And that translation in the Hebrew means menstrual cloths or menstrual pads or in our modern tampons. He's saying your righteous efforts when you try to live holy in the midst of a holy God is something that is, is discarded. It is something that is uh, in the Jewish society. This would have been something at the lowest level of uncleanliness. It is something to just be thrown out in the trash that you would Im- be impure uh, to not even go into the temple and worship God. He says, and they would have looked at it and being appalled. They would have been like, oh, you can't say those words. And even today, that's kind of like, okay, that's kind of uncomfortable, Pastor Heath. But that's Scripture. He's saying your righteous deeds are as filthy rags. That they don't even compare. Doesn't even, you can't even grasp what God means when he says holy or sacred or consecrated or sanctified. It's so very hard for us to understand 
the holiness of God. I think about society today, we're inundated and flooded with the world of hatred and violence. Uh, Everywhere we look, there's murder, there's sex, there's pornography, there's adultery, there's immorality, there's greed, there's the constant pursuit of pleasure by any means. Not only today do people blatantly slander God with their actions, but you can get on national television, even on the news today, and curse God to His face. That the, the level of holiness is foreign for us. In fact, by the time we were even in high school, every single one of us in this room has broken all ten of the Ten Commandments that the Bible says you are guilty of death by breaking just one. We, we all have uh, broken them from either having no other gods to taking the Lord's name in vain or coveting our neighbor's house or even our neighbor's spouse, that we're all contaminated by sin. We're all contaminated by sin. But I want to go deeper this morning into what holiness is. Look in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. This text is going to frame our, our message and our story this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 28, in the ESV, it says this. So if you know that we're all off limits, we are not the thing that is set apart for a holy purpose. We are all contaminated. We are all as that toilet seat as that menstrual pad. I mean, it's, it's just kind of, I don't see myself that way. But here's what Hebrew says. He says, but since Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, let us be grateful that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, so he says, therefore, therefore, because of what Christ has done, let us be grateful for what you have received, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable, turn your name and say acceptable, acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God. Who is he? He is a consuming fire. So in another way, he can say this. He says, because of the grace of God we have received through Jesus Christ, let us give the right kind of worship with reverence and awe. Because of the holiness of who God is. I want to talk to you about three things. Number one is, who is God? Number two, what has He done? And three, how do we respond? How do we respond? You do not see yourself rightly until you see God as holy. I do not, Heath Harris does not see himself rightly until I see God as holy. And today I am praying for a fresh revelation from heaven about who God is. Somebody say, or if you're with me, say amen. Amen. You don't see yourself rightly until you see God as holy. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, and we're going to be here the rest of the time. In about 740 years before Christ, there's this guy named Isaiah. He's a prophet of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he has seen in his lifetime, Israel has split. The northern kingdom uh, is called Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And the northern kingdom has fallen into immense idolatry, immense uh, uh, prostitution and 
uh, killing of children and adultery and the pursuit of pleasure and setting all kinds of things up in the place of God. There has been profane worship. They have set up a whole other Bible. They've set up another temple. They've set themselves up. Kings have set themselves up as God. It is full-on apostasy in the northern kingdom. And yet in the southern kingdom, there has been the semblance of religion. There have been some good kings, and even one king, King Uzziah, was able to set up the semblance of religion, the semblance of holiness in the house of God. But even in his day, in the best religious pursuit that Judah could offer in their day, people have in their homes fallen to secret pleasures of sin. People in the priesthood have become hypocritical, even in their best attempts at outward good religion. And Isaiah sees this King Uzziah. He has died. And as he dies, it seems like, well, what hope is there? The northern kingdom's gone full-blown into sin. The religious people, even in their best efforts, have internally fallen short of the glory of God. And now the king that was trying to lead us into revival has died. And look what he says in Isaiah 6, verse 1. He says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, He had a vision. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And seraphim, which means fiery ones, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out. And while the temple was filling with smoke and then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I have I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. You don't see yourself rightly until you see God holy. Who is God? Isaiah sees God. He sees him, number one, he sees him as king. He said, this guy, that when I saw him, he said, I saw him on a throne. He's king. He was exalted as king. He was Lord. He was the supreme authority of all universe. There was nothing higher than this guy. He was lofty and exalted. He says uh, in ancient times, they had the kings and how powerful and how awesome you were was how long and how prominent your robe was and how what material it was made out of. And the longer it was, the, the more you thought about yourself. Right. And he says, and I saw his robe and the train of it, you know, train like on a wedding dress. Right. It filled the entire temple, symbolic of how awesome, how majestic, how royal This God was. And he says, and he was on high. And he even says he saw smoke begin to fill the atmosphere. In Revelation chapter 4, John the revelator, John uh, the apostle sees this in a similar way. And he says it was like thunderclouds. It was flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, smoky clouds filled the environment. You know, in the Bible, we see that in in Exodus with Moses, and there was this fire descending in the clouds. That is what we call in Scripture the Shekinah glory. That is the tangible manifest demonstration 
of the presence of God. How many people have ever felt the Holy Spirit come into a room before? Very few of us have, though, seen it with smoke, tangible presence. I mean, the thickness, not only in the physical realm, but the spiritual realm. If you've ever felt God in the midst of worship, or have you ever been in a service, or you've felt something different in the atmosphere. So he feels that to a degree we have never even begun to feel. And it's so manifest in the spirit. He sees it manifest in smoke, in clouds, and then he hears it, the tangible presence of God's glory, in thunder, and then he sees it flash with lightning. That's who he is. He says, who is this God? He's king. He has Shekinah tangible glory. His glory, his manifest glory is so, so real, it manifests in the clouds of thunder. And John even would go on to say, I saw an emerald rainbow circling around him, purity, everything complete. His glory was radiating. He says that he saw him as see-through, as as, uh, uh, as, as a stone was seed through, but at the same time, John says, I saw him with a deep reddish-orange glow of the stones that he would know from the priestly breastplate. And he was glowing the radiance of the manifestation of God. And he says that he was also not just king, he was not also enthroned in glory, but he was holy. What is that? He sees these guys, these seraphim, and, and, and we would know them as four living creatures, maybe uh, from Revelation, and they had four different faces, a uh, man and an ox and an eagle and a calf. And, and he says, I saw them with different wings, and, and they had eyes all over the wings, and as if they were seeing who God really was in full wisdom and revelation. And, and he says, uh, they were sinless. These, these beings are sinless, perfect beings. They have, these beings have been designed and made to be in the manifest holy presence of God. They have no other purpose other than to be in the presence of God. I told our staff this week, you know, it's like a whale. A whale is made to be a whale. It has fins, it has, uh, you know, a blowhole, it eats krill or something or whatever, and it goes under the water, does what it's supposed to do, and comes up and blows out the water and gets some air. That's what God made it to do. But these beings were made purposed by God to declare who he was to be in his uh, the closest being to his radiant glory. That's their purpose. All right? Now think about that for a second. He says they had, they had four faces and six wings, and, and yet still, as they were flying, and they were covering their creatureness with their wings over their feet, they were covering their creatureness. He, it says that he also saw them covering their face. I want you to think about that for a minute. That even sinless, perfect, purposed beings could not even dare look at the holiness of God. Purposed, sinless, designed to be in His presence could not even dare look. They had to cover their creatureness and not even... Couldn't even, it was so, the holiness of God, so blinding, they could not look. I think about that time when Moses uh, and 
uh, the Bible in Exodus 33 that he says, God, show me your glory. I don't know that he really knew what he was asking at that moment, but God says to Moses, Moses, no one can dare look at my glory and live. No one can see my face. What it means, the face is presence in, in Hebrew. No one can see my unfiltered presence and live. And he says, but I'll do one thing. I'll let you see my hindquarters. I'll let you see my back, a veiled glimpse at the fullness of my glory. And at that moment, God would pass by and hide Moses from death and let Moses see the veiled presence of God. And it, the Bible would tell us that Moses would go down the, the, the hill, the mountain, and they would say, Moses, Moses, you've got to put something over your face. We can't even look because your faith, face is radiating off of the reflection of the glory of God. You know what? The moon is a radiation of the reflection of the sun at nighttime. And even Moses, having dared look, Look at the radiant presence of God's holiness had a continued reflection even after he went down the mountain that people could not dare even look Moses in the face. What do you think this culture knows about holiness? What do you think? I, I, I can't hardly even grasp what it means that God is holy. That even sinless beings made to be in his presence cannot look upon him. And what did they call? He said that they called out this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And, and uh, John saw him say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty who was and who is and is to come. In Scripture, there is a repetition of words sometimes, and, and we don't do that so much today. I said, I'm going to Walmart, I'm going to Walmart, I'm going to Walmart. Oh, maybe you do if you're trying to tell somebody something in your house. Hey, listen up, husband. I'm going to Walmart. Did you hear me? I'm going to Walmart. I'm going to Walmart. What does that mean? Listen up. I have something important I'm trying to tell you. Wives, how many people do that to your husbands? Hey, listen. I'm, I'm saying it three times over. You know, Jesus says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you. They listen up. I'm about to tell you something important. Today, we yell it. We put apostrophes around it. We, we underline it. We put it in bold font. We put it in neon sign on the building and say, look at this, look at this. That's what this does in Scripture. If you say something twice, sometimes they'll say, God is worthy. He's worthy. Never, though, in Scripture is God referenced in the third degree, other than in two places, in Isaiah and Revelation. And never, never, listen to me, never in Scripture does it say, God is good, God is good, God is good. Never does it say in Scripture, God is gracious, God is gracious, God is gracious, or God is forgiving, God is forgiving, or God is lovely, God is loving, God is loving, or God is just, just, just. But in Scripture, the only time God is ever talked about in the third degree Authors call it the superlative, which is the exaggeration. The emphasis is holy, holy, holy. We have a culture today that can argue with you on God is love. And we can argue about does God accept this person or God accept that person. We can get into this argument of love. We could get into the argument of God's justice and will God judge these people. And what about these people have never heard. And, and we can get into the arguments of all those things. But you can't argue holy holy, holy. Culture won't argue holiness with you. They don't understand it. It's beyond the comprehension. We'll argue our definition of love and justice and goodness, but they will not dare argue holiness because there is only one person in this universe that is holy, and that is God Almighty. 
24 elders would bow down every time they heard this, declaring he was worthy. And, and I've heard it said that each time they bowed down and they'd laid their crowns and they would pick them back up again. And then the, the four living creatures again would cry, holy, holy, holy. And the elders would look and it's as if they would see God anew in his holiness. And then again, they would bow down and say, you are worthy, worthy. And they would say, you are holy, holy, holy. And the elders would say, yes, you are worthy. You are worthy. And you are holy, holy, holy. And they will say, you are worthy. You are worthy to take this crown. I lay it down. It's as if every time, it's not that they're bored, church, listen to me. It's not that they're bored. It's not that they're in drones. It's that the manifest glory holy presence of a pure being like God is so amazing, so infinite, that every time you look at him, you see him in a new way. You see him revealed in his holiness and his purity. And the word holy in scripture means uncommon. It means otherness. It means that uh, it's the true definition, the DNA of who God is. And, And we don't have a word for it really in English. It means that something For us, we talk about being holy and set apart and doing good moral works. That's part of it. But in reference to God, holiness means he is not like us. He is like him. How do you define God? He's him. What does he say? I am that I am. He's holy. You can't describe him. He is so pure. He is so empty of sin. He is so good. He is so loving, so just. But holy is God. That's who he is. And what happens at that moment? What does he say? He says, woe is me. He, I, I think it was a, as a, uh, the moment the dust gets in your nostrils, you sneeze. The moment that, you know, someone kicks you in the shin, you fall down. There are some reflexes that really just come out. And at this moment, when he sees who uh, God really is, the reflex was him to cry out, woe is me. It was to pronounce judgment on himself. That's what woe is, to pronounce judgment. It means to woe, to judge myself. Woe is me. This is Isaiah. He is the only perhaps righteous man left in the country who God has chose to use, obeyed the law, got visions, and, and I mean, he's, he's next to the king to prophesy. This guy is the best of the best. That, that they had to offer in that day. The closest person you would call to the Lord. And in the sight of God's tangible holiness, he cannot do anything but say, Woe upon me. I am undone. I'm undone. There's nothing. I can't even stand in his presence. I, I, it was like he was punched in the face by holiness. And I think it was an x-ray in that moment. I don't know if you've ever had God reveal things to you, but as if it was to say to Isaiah, Isaiah, this is why you're prideful. Isaiah, this is why you have issues in this part of your life. Isaiah, this is, it was like all of it was revealed in that moment. Like, I know now why I am that I am. I, I see my internal desires. I didn't know that I was that prideful. Or I didn't know that I had that much lust in my life. I didn't know that I had that much greed. I didn't, I didn't know that I was pursuing that for that reason. But it all began to be revealed of how inadequate, how insufficient, how unworthy this man of God really was. You don't see God 
sorry, you don't see yourself rightly until you see God is holy. Our staff was talking about this week the story of Uzzah or Uzzah in Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, they wanted me to make sure I shared this this morning. But there's that story of uh, Uzzah, and he, he, they are taking the ark from a place and bringing it back to the house of God. And David is leading the way, and they put the ark of God, which is that, that box that the, the Ten Commandments were in, and it had poles that were supposed to be in it, and the priests alone were supposed to carry it, and no one could touch it because God's presence was in and upon that ark. And that was the mercy seat where the priests would sprinkle blood and atone for the sins of the people. And it was meant to only be hidden. You really weren't even supposed to see it most Commentators say that it was supposed to have even been veiled always in a purple uh, tabernacle, a purple covering, and that only no one really was even supposed to look at it. But in this day, when they were doing everything right in their own ways, they brought it and they put it on a new ox cart, and it was going through the bumpy roads. And as it was there, there was a, a, a son of a priest, if you would say, and he was there. And as it began to bump around, the ark seemed like it was going to slide off and go into the mud. And Uzzah just, without thinking probably, just reached out his hand to steady it, this precious, priceless piece of art, precious, precious, priceless religious artifact, this place where God's glory dwelt. And as soon as he touched it, the Lord struck him dead. Fire probably came out and took him out. He was dead, and fear came over, and David said, why, 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 how could you do this? God, he was trying to help you, and that's what most of us would think today. God, what was the harm in that? How come a man can't help you keep that from... Well, now, it was going to fall in the mud, God. What'd you kill him for? One commentator, R.C. Sproul, he said, Uzzah made this mistake, that he thought the mud was less pure than his hand. You see, God made that mud, and that mud is mud. And when rain comes into dry mud, it becomes mud. And when sun comes into dry mud, it becomes dirt again. And it does exactly what it's supposed to do. But there's only one creature in all of creation that is not doing what it was designed and purposed to do. We have all been contaminated by sin. And where God's holiness dwells, Sin cannot be. And for that, he died. You see, we should be uncomfortable in our sin around a holy God. So when Hebrews says in that chapter, that verse that we read this morning, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. I need to check myself and make sure I don't approach God as a buddy, as a Santa Claus, a wish list, I feel good, pick me up. That I don't come into worship just lightly, thinking I can come with all of my garbage and, and treat sin so lightly. Lord, forgive me for how lightly I treat my mouth, how lightly I treat sin and what I see and what I allow into my heart. God, forgive me for things I say off the cuff or God that I look at too long or that come into my heart and I entertain in my mind. How lightly I treat sin on so many days because the world is so inundated that I can think that my hand has any part of holiness, that I could even help God in any way, that I could even approach God on my own good merit or worth. But only God is holy. 
We don't see ourselves rightly until we see God as holy. But here's the good news, because there's good news in this story. You're like, oh, Lord, this is heavy today. Look in verse 6. Isaiah saw himself ruined, but when he experienced God's grace, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, and he had taken it from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Isaiah, in that moment, from that would flood in a amount of prophecies, and the prophecies that would come from Isaiah would be, one, he said, Isaiah, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you, I'm doing something in your life right now, but Isaiah, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to send one. He is going to be the Christ Messiah. He's going to be a child born of a virgin. He is going to be Emmanuel, God with you. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what, God? How can you have God with us? But we see you high and exalted, lifted up, the holy of holies. God, people just come near your presence. They're just zapped to fire. But he says, Isaiah, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to be with you. How are you going to do that, God? And he shows him. Here's a pattern here. Look what he says. He says, he saw the seraphim, the fiery one, take from where? Where did he take it from? He took a fiery coal from the altar. Before you can ever get into the holy place or the holy of holies in the tabernacle or temple of God, you have to go past this brazen bronze altar where the sacrifice was made. And the Bible says that because of Christ Jesus, his blood, the blood of the precious lamb of God, it now cleanses us of all sin. It is by the blood of Jesus upon that altar on a cross on a hill called Golgotha where that Lamb of God willingly laid down His life. And the author of Hebrews says, now once and for all we now have access into the presence of a holy God because on that heavenly altar God got off the throne. He went and He laid His life down at the entrance of where Isaiah could not go, and he let himself die as a man that we might enter in. What is he given? He's given himself. You see, what makes something holy is the touch of God upon it. Isaiah was unworthy, and, and the fire from that altar, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the altar, uh, when Moses made it, it actually was fire that descended from heaven and lit the first altar. Did you know that? And it was continued. They were supposed to keep it lit from then on, that it was the fire of the Holy Spirit. So upon the altar, blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. That is Jesus Christ for you and I today as New Covenant Christians. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And it is the fire of the Holy Spirit that came upon Isaiah. The the seraphim took a burning coal, and the place of repentance for Isaiah was his lips. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, he thought he was unworthy to declare with the angels the holiness of God, which he was. So that angel or seraphim took the coal from the place of sacrifice, lit with the fire of the presence of God, and touched the very place Isaiah repented about. And where it was, the the sickness that was in Isaiah's lips, it uh, cauterized it, if you want. It dealt with the issue, 
purified him, made him holy. And he says, now because of the place of sacrifice and the blood that has been shed, and now because of the fire of the Holy Spirit, you have been forgiven, you've been pardoned, your sins are no more. Now you have been set apart for a purpose. Go prophesy to the people about who God is and what he's going to do, that he's going to send you a child and he will be God with you now. He's coming to lay his life down on the altar. He's coming to sacrifice his own self that his blood might allow you access. And he's coming to purify the sin issues in your life and make you holy. He's coming to set you apart, consecrate you, sanctify you, to put you on that mantle to give you a special place into the presence of God and to make you have a purpose that you couldn't have ever done before. That's holiness for us. Hebrews 10.10 says, By this we have been sanctified, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You have the blood of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And can you imagine, can you imagine, this is what I could not get my head around this week, was that that holy God, who we could have been cast out from His presence, there was a wall that stood before us, Even in his holiness, and I still yet today do not understand this. Why, God? In his holiness and seeing our filthiness, our righteousness as menstrual rags, our toilet seat of worship, of good works, he said, I want them in here with me. Son, I want you to make a way. They can't get closer, but God, I love them. But God, you're holy but I love them. But God, if they come in, your judgment will pass upon them. You'll wipe them out, God. There'll be no more. But son, help me make a way. Jesus comes, he makes a way because God yet in his holiness and his purity and his uncommonliness and his otherworldliness says, I want them to draw into me. Why? I don't know. He's God. He's holy. So what should your response be and my response be to a God like this? Who could so easily cast us from his presence, but so willingly lay down his own life that we might draw in. So the author of Hebrews says, so now let us come boldly to this throne. And what kind of a throne is it now? It's a throne of grace. That you can find help in a time of need. So now come boldly. Come entering in with praise and thanksgiving for our God. Even though he is a consuming fire. And he's still worthy of reverence and awe. Let's come boldly. Because of the blood of Jesus. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in ignorance before. Peter says, but now, because he who called you is holy, now you should also be holy in all your conduct, because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. You see, now my life is separated for a purpose. I was not 
once a people, but now I am the people of God. I had no identity or purpose or power or sanctification or holiness or any good righteousness, but now because of Christ, I've received his holiness and his righteousness. Now I have his purpose. Now I have his inheritance. So now I don't want to treat the grace of God lightly and continue into sin. Now I don't want to think on the things I thought of before. I want to get my mind off of this worldly junk and get my mind to uncommon, holy, perfect, pure things so that my life now is a response of worship. So I flee from things. I draw near to God because God is so willing to draw near to me. So why, Paul says, would I want to go back to the old things when we should get a fresh revelation with the elders every single day that my God is holy, he's holy, He's holy. And Lord, help me if I keep looking back to my old life. Jesus said, if you look back to your old life, you're not fit to move forward into the kingdom of God. No man can put his hand on the plow and turn back and try to go forward. But that we church, even though I know I don't stand holy because of my own works or my own merits or anything I could ever do. But I stand every day in worship of a God who laid down his own life on that altar, who sprinkled the Holy Spirit in my life to consume that fire. And he says, son, I have a purpose for you. You were not, uh, you had no purpose before, but holiness for you, church, today is this. To have your position and purpose found in Jesus Christ. There's no works you could do to gain you that access. There's no works you could do to keep you in that place. But it is only to say, I am secure in Jesus Christ. And my purpose now is to do the will of the Father who's made me holy. I just want to be near to Him. Worship Him. Do what He says do. Because holiness is where I stand in Him. And I live out the call of God like Isaiah did on my life. The question for you today is, what's your response? What has God called you, each man, woman, boy, and girl, to do for the kingdom of God? You won't earn that place, but you can receive it freely in Christ and now live out a unique, special calling. Timothy, or Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, now you need to be like a useful vessel. Timothy, before you were the toilet seat. But now, Timothy, you define China, buddy. You're the fine China. God's going to pull you off that shelf. He's going to use you for something special. In this world of woe, let God use you as a vessel of worship to a holy God. Would you stand with me all across this room? Worship team, would you come? Our God is a consuming fire. He's holy, holy, holy. He's given us his kingdom through Christ in the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now he says, now let's be thankful and give the right kind of worship with your life, which is in reverence and in awe, coming boldly before a throne of grace. What I want to do in my life today is, number one, is this. I want to have confession. I want to say, God, sometimes I know I want comfort more than consecration. God, I want it easy. 
God, I want to just go back to the pleasures of my old life, but Lord, I know that that's not where my place is any longer. That's not my purpose any longer. God, I need to confess, Lord, I've been slack on holiness. God, I've been slack and I've been so focused on worldliness and I've got to get focused on otherliness, godliness, holiness, purity, things that are directing my mind into the right place. God, I need to confess today. I've treated sin too lightly in my life. And number two is, I need to consecrate myself. Actually, I can't even do it. But I can come to that throne and that altar, and I can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you have paid the price for me to move by faith past this place. If you try to move past that place without the blood of Jesus, you'll be dead in a heartbeat. That if you try to enter this other world and death comes knocking at your door, and you try to enter into that new realm of living without the blood of Jesus by faith, You'll be excluded from the life of God for all eternity. But if you can come to that altar and say, Jesus, I receive this sacrifice that you laid your life down for me. And by faith in you, I pass beyond that outer court, Lord. I'm coming into the presence of God. And Holy Spirit, consume me with your fire. Holy Spirit, I confess that area of my life that is not in right relationship with God. Would you touch me? You see, it is a touched life that has the imprint of God on it. God touched him and made him holy, made the fire burn on his lips, and his lips began given over to the purpose of God. And maybe there's some element in your life you say, God, I need you to touch my heart. I need you to touch my mind. I need you to touch these, these hands or the places I go, the things I say, Lord, holy fire, touch me. Use that area now for your glory. Lord, I'm done being the gossip. I'm done being a slanderer. God, I'm done being a liar. I'm done being a cheat. I'm done being a drug addict. God, I'm done being a lustful man. God, I'm done in that area. Holy fire, touch that area. Use me, Lord, for your purpose. Lord, I'm confessing, and I want to be consecrated because you are holy, holy, holy. Would you worship the Lord this morning all across this place, wherever you are, You just begin to lift your hands, close your eyes, begin to think about the Lord. What if you were standing right now, today, in His presence? How would you treat the presence of a holy God? What would you do in the midst of His presence today? How would you respond today if the holy train was to fill this place? Holy, holy, holy.
the priest. 